today we're in a series on relationships. Uh, we started this series well before COVID happened. And so if, if there's things that, uh, that, that touch your heart today, I'd encourage you to go back and find those sessions on relationships from earlier this year. Uh, you can find, again, website, YouTube, on our podcasts. Last week, we briefly touched on the, the topic of the difference between love and like. You know, see, we, there is a difference, and in our, in our culture, we typically get them reversed. See, the thing is, we don't choose what we like. You just like stuff. Like, uh, you either, you know, uh, uh, like cats or you don't like cats. I, I really can't help it. Uh, I just don't like them. Um, but, but others of you, you just like them. And, and we don't know what that is, but there's just a reason. There's something in there that's just like, yeah, I like them. I was thinking about foods that we eat. Some people, it's like, you have pizza and you're like, yeah, I just, I like pizza or olives or um, for the Dutch people, druppies. You know, for, do you like druppies? I, I kind of, it's salted licorice, but yeah, I like druppies. Other people were like, how could you possibly like that? It's just disgusting because we don't really choose what we like uh, or who we like. It's, it's, it's just this involuntary thing. Uh, but love's a different thing. See, we, we think we like fall in love and it's involuntary, but it's not actually. It's something that we choose. Genuine love is something that we choose who and what we love. And so the question is, why does that even matter? Who cares about love and like? Well, it matters. It matters, especially for Jesus followers. Uh, the Jesus followers listening in, he gave us one commandment to follow. And that commandment wasn't like everyone. That wasn't the commandment. His commandment was, and he, John, uh, a Jesus follower, wrote this down. He says, this is what Jesus told us. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Just one, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're actually my disciples, that you're actually my followers. You're actually following what I say. And this morning, what we're talking about this morning is not just for Jesus followers. Uh, if you're like here and like, well, and I don't, I don't know if I believe in all this stuff. I don't even know if I believe that, the, you know, that it, Jesus was God. No, I don't know if I believe the Bible, all, whatever it may be. Can I just tell you that this morning, what we're going to talk about actually works for everyone. It's not limited to just Jesus followers, but for the Jesus followers, it's for sure for us. You know, I'm, the thought we had last week is this, could it be that through all of this stuff with COVID, that it's actually bringing stuff to the surface in you and in your relationships that either God wants to deal with or that you need to deal with so that you and your relationships will actually be stronger after COVID is over. Could that be possible? I believe so. I think that, that we can go with stronger marriages, stronger friendships, stronger relationships, stronger personal relationships with God as a result of something that ultimately was negative. The thought too is that could quarantine be presenting you and me with an option, an opportunity of learning how to really love how to really love. You know, talk about love. You're like, well, how do we know if we're doing Jesus' command right? Like, how do I know if I'm like loving right or not loving right? I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask my kids and see what happens. And so I asked them, how do you guys know uh, that, that you love someone? And I kind of, they like, dad, it's early in the morning, like blank stares. And I was like, well, okay, let's change the question. How do you know that someone loves you? And, and my daughter is like, well, you know, they do nice things. Like I know when you and mom, you both came to the hospital when I broke my arm, only one of you had to come, but you both came. I knew, I knew that you loved me. And then as we were kind of going around the circle, Max pipes in and is like, I'm not sure if you actually love me. And I'm like, what? Like, as a father, that's the last thing you want to hear is that your, that your nine-year-old child doesn't know that you love him. And I was like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean, Max? And he says, uh, he says to me, well, you know, when you raise your voice and, and when you pinch me, I don't think you love me. And I'm like, 
pinch you? Like, when did that happen? So I asked him, like, Max, when, when did I pinch you? He's like, when I was four. And I'm like, that's five years ago. Like, there's got to have been something that's happened since then till now that would let you know that I love you. And he says, well, I know you love mom. And I was like, how, okay, how do you know that? And he's like, because you're smooching all the time. And it's just so gross. I don't even like, I was like, okay. So this whole idea of love, you know, it's like hugs and smooches. I'm like, well, we're not allowed to hug everyone right now to show people that we love them. Um, apparently smooching is not like the way to show your friends and coworkers that you love them. So how do we actually show people that we love them? How do we live out Jesus' command to love them? Uh, the good news is that the New Testament writers actually gave us a whole list of ways to fulfill that one commandment. Sometimes we think that those were like the new 10 commandments or these new relational commands or whatever, but they're not, they're not separate. They're actually just um, uh, examples of how to fulfill one commandment. And here they are. In Paul, Paul wrote to the, um, Paul was a guy who was a Jesus follower, but he became a Jesus follower later in life. And uh, his belief system, which was in Judaism, actually made him hate Christians. Like hate, not just, oh, I don't like them. Like hate them, like kill them, uh, arrest them, put them in jail, use whatever means he had to, to treat this group of people called Jesus followers with incredible incredible disdain. Well, then he became a Jesus follower and he realized that it wasn't what I believe so much that's important, but, but this idea of love. And so he began to write to, um, to Jesus followers. He wrote to the, the ones who met in Ephesus. He wrote to the ones who lived in a place called Colossae. And he kind of wrote this list. And maybe you've heard it before where he said, you know, everyone should yield to everyone else. Everyone put somebody, put other people's, um, desires and, and their well-being above, above your own. And he says, you know, how to love wives, how to love is like wives submit to your husbands. And some, you know, people are like, what? That's just like old school. I don't even like that verse. Some some people like, I just ripped that one out. Uh, but he's not saying, hey, this is like some power trip thing. He's simply saying, wives, this is how you love Jesus. You can love Jesus by submitting to your husband. Husbands, you can love Jesus uh, and, and um, love one another as he's loved you by loving your wives. Uh, children, how does love work? Well, obey your parents, he says. Fathers, he says, don't torment your children. That's a, a good, he says, it's a good way to show love is not to torment them. Employees, he's like, if you've got a boss, work hard for them as if you were working for the Lord. And employers care about, care about the interests of your employees, not just your business. I know it's all about the money and whatever. He's like, but the way you love, the way you've been loved is to to care about their interests. And he gives us all of these examples. They're not new commands. They're just actually ways to fulfill one command. That same man, Paul, who wrote all of this stuff, he actually wrote a letter to a group of people in modern day Greece, uh, a city called Corinth. And he wrote to them about their relationships. It's, It's a pretty lengthy letter. And he covered a whole bunch of different things about relational things. But he then kind of in the middle to, to the end, he begins talking about the relationships they have as a church. And as a church wasn't, you know, the, the service. It's that group of people who are closely connected around a common cause. And that common cause was the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And he says, you're closely connected to this group of people. And he begins to write to them about their relationships. Well, the thing is, it's, it's for sure for the church, but it's also for any relationship that's closely connected 
This, that's why we say this works for anyone. And he talked to people um, about, he says he was talking to the people that uh, they were closely connected to, like family, for instance. And maybe, you know, your close connected family looks something like this, this group of people. And you're like, maybe you've got like the little uh, bucktooth beaver kid right in the middle. You know, you have one, every family has one of those kids that just, you know, spoils the, the family photo. And you're like, ah, you know, we all get along with that one. But maybe you're the opposite. Maybe your family's more like this. It's chaos. Like everyone is like at every one, um, but this is your close connection. And maybe you can tell us in the, in the chat, which one of those close family one or close family two most looks like your quarantine family right now, if you're real brave. But we, you know, Paul's just saying to them, he describes it like a body. There's all kinds of different parts. There's all kinds of different players, but it's one team. It's all one family. It's all one part. And so he's, as we jump into the middle of this letter that Paul writes them, I just want to bring you this thought. 1 Corinthians 12, it says this in verse 31, the end of it, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. He's like, I showed you how to have giftings and talents and kind of connecting with people, but let me show you the best way to live right now. Uh, as we find ourselves in different, uh, different um, situation and scenarios, wouldn't it be great to know what the best way to live is right now? Like if you had a choice, you can choose, you know, the worst or the mediocre or the best way to live which one would you choose? We're like, well, I'm not sure yet. Tell me what it is. But Paul's saying, hey, this is the best way to live today. And he writes some words right after that that you've probably heard before. Even if you're not a church uh, goer or a Jesus follower, you've probably heard these words before. And the, I'm going to guess you heard them at a wedding before. Maybe you heard them at your own wedding. You know, they're, they're often, these words that we're going to read, they're often quoted at weddings, but they were written for marriages. They were they're quoted at weddings, but they were written for marriages. They were written for families. They were written for churches. They were written for teams. They were written for close, connected people. But a lot of times, all that we happen to hear is, oh, this is this nice poetic literature that we hear at weddings. And Paul writes the words of 1 Corinthians 13. He actually starts, I'm just going to paraphrase the first few verses because he basically says, hey, it's not really about your giftings. He's like, man, you might be a great speaker, but if you don't love people, that's just noise. And that's one that I always have to take to heart because it's not just about speaking to people. It's about, it's a, if there's no love there, it's really, worth, it's really worthless. He says, you know, if you've got all knowledge, maybe you've studied the Bible, you've done a whole bunch of precept studies, but you don't actually love people. He says, it's just, it's just pride. You just think you're so smart, but he says, that's, that's not, without love, it's nothing. And then he says, you know, to the other ones, he says, if you do a lot of serving, maybe you're like, yeah, I do a lot of good deeds. He says, but if you don't actually love the people you're serving, you're actually self-serving. You're doing those good deeds because of how it makes you feel as opposed to loving people. She says, regardless of what we do, that motive of love is the most important thing. It is all about love. My niece, Evie, uh, about a year ago, sent me this link to a guy's um, uh, podcast. His name is Michael Todd. He actually just came out with a book. The book, I just put it up here. It's called Relationship Goals. It, I don't read a lot, so um, I listen to podcasts. And I finally started listening to his podcast as well. Um, and man, it's phenomenal stuff. Like if you're not married yet, I think you should check this out. If you are married, you should check this out. If you're divorced, I, you should check this out. There is such, such um, incredible teaching um, that he has because, uh, that, that will help ground you in scripture. Because oftentimes what happens with us, we look for all of our cues about love from culture. So when Jesus says, hey, you got to love everybody, and we think, well, what do we know about love? And me ask people like, well, I think, I think I know about love. Like I've watched The Bachelor every season and The Bachelorette. Like I think, I think I get this whole thing of love, you know, or we, culture's definition of love just keeps changing. You know, the definition is like, well, love something you find. 
You even heard some of the kids say it. Where'd they learn that from their parents? You know, love's a feeling. Oh, it's a nice feeling. Love is happiness. That's what love is. Love is is sex. You know, love is swiping right. And hopefully you swipe right enough, you'll find Mr. Right or Miss Right. Love is, and then there's a saying, love is love as long as it's love for you. Love is love if it's love for you. Whatever it is, that's good. And it sounds nice, right? Like everybody can just have their own version of love. It sounds nice until you switch the word. It'd be like me saying, marbles are marbles as long as they're marbles to you. And, and here's my marbles. Marbles are marbles as long as they're marbles to me. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And the truth is, if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense about this topic of love either. You know, it's, uh, um, it sounds, um, sounds good. But even, even in quarantine, you know, there's a lot of people checking out a lot of Netflix. And so as I was scrolling through the Netflix thing, there's this one show jumped out at me. That's, it, was, it says love is blind. And I thought, hmm, the idea behind it was that they would put people in these pods um, and that they, would, they wouldn't ever be able to see each other. They could just have conversations. And the whole uh, idea of the show was that That would people get to know each other well enough? Could they fall in love and and actually become engaged? They'd have to get engaged to a person, propose to a person that they've never seen before. Would they love them enough? I'm like, that is an intriguing idea because it goes against the flow of of everything else in culture. It's all about, you know, physical attraction and all of that, you know, the chemistry and everything. It was simply this thing. I thought, man, what a great idea. But then I watched it. It was like epic fail. Don't even bother wasting your time on it. I'll tell you, it doesn't, the experiment does not go well. I only watched a couple episodes and was like, I've seen, I've seen enough. But I think for our culture, well, I was saying last night, I think the only benefit of that kind of, that, that kind of um, relationship is that might be, if quarantine carries on, it might be the only way Zane gets married. He'll have to have one of these pods where he can, you know, quarantine date. So um, whoever it may be, but, but I think when you look at our culture, the message that comes across is love is confusing. Love is confusing. Zane, where are you going? Don't run away. Zane, we need you. Come back. I'm, I'm apologizing. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll make it right afterwards. All right. But I think, I think that the message of love is, is confusing. You ask 100 people, you get different answers. And I think the main problem for that is that we fail to check the manual on us. We don't check the manual for, for who we are. Uh, and it's not a surprise because we don't usually read the manual for anything. You know, you get a new TV, you don't really read the manual. You just stick it up on the wall and be like, I got the remote, I can figure this out. You know, you get a new car, whether it's new to you or whatever brand new, it's like you don't go and look through the whole manual and read every page. You're like, no, you hop in, you're like, I can drive this. And people do the same thing with relationships. They do the same thing with marriage. It's like, I don't need the manual. I've seen marriage before. Maybe like, I've done marriage before. I know not how not to do it. That was the first time. The second time, I'm good. I can drive this. And all that you end up driving is you drive her crazy and she drives you away. And that's all that there is. And then people don't usually check the manual for anything until something breaks. Uh, my dishwasher broke this week and it was the first time I checked the manual. I'm like, oh man, what, what, what happened here? You know, or like for people, they, they finally check the manual when something goes wrong in their car. And it's almost like it happens in, in marriages and families as well. And maybe, you know, people, when you send in your pictures to us, um, that just fully gives me permission to use them. So maybe you feel like this couple right here. Do we have a picture of this couple? Oh, it's up there. Sweet. And maybe you're hoping you feel more like this couple. Well, today I have good news for you. 
because regardless of where you are in your relationship, the good news today is that this, what we're going to talk about for just a few short minutes can help anyone, anywhere, at any stage, in any relationship. This can help anyone, anywhere, at any stage, in any relationship, including me, because all of us have these things where we can get better at this thing called love. We can get better at this thing called relationships. You know, when couples are in trouble, I often, and they come and talk to me like, oh, this is just not working the way we thought. We're not happily ever after. What do we do? I often ask them simply each individually, how are you doing with your vows? How are you doing with the promises you made? And maybe you find yourself in that place. Would you just take a minute to think back? And a lot of times it's like, well, she's not, man, she's not doing this or she's doing that or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but how about you? How are you doing with the promises you made? The rest is, that's out of your control. How are you doing with um, how you're loving? How are you doing with the promises you made? And I'll ask the, the wife, same thing. Oh, well, he did this. He said, yeah, but how are you doing? Friendships, whatever it may be. How are you doing with love? Paul writes these next few verses that are so, so powerful. 1 Corinthians 13, verse four, he says this, love's patient and kind, love's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not rude. And we just, we read through and we're like, man, I've heard this before, but I'm just like, whoa, slow down for a minute. Paul, what are, what are you saying as you describe this? Because it, it is profoundly powerful when you realize that Paul's using these two words, a, a noun and a verb at the same time, this idea of agape and agapo, you find it all throughout the New Testament. It is this, what this love really looks like. One's a noun, something you have that affects something you do. The other night I was puzzling with my kids and showing them old songs like the OC Supertones and um, DC Talk has a song called Love is a Verb and we're playing that. And it's like, yeah, that love really is a verb. Not a, it's not a feeling. It's not just something you have. There's an action. It's something that you, that you have, but it affects something that you do. And so this week, as I was prepping for this last week, I just encouraged everybody, hey, would you just be aware of God in your life? God who is love and fills us with love. Would you just be aware of him? Intentionally just, just be aware that you are loved and that you can love others. Well, I do the same thing. And this week I was just praying, God, would you help me to love better? Would you help me to, to love the way that you desire for, for me to love? And I was reminded of this series by Andy Stanley. It says, you know, what does love require of me? Just asking that question. If I'm going to live a life of love, what does that actually require of me? And then I began to slow down and read this again. Love is patient. Love is patient. You know, you don't really have a choice these days to be patient. I mean, I guess, I guess you can be angrily standing in line, but you're going to be in lines, lots of them. And the other, the other day, I actually was standing in line at the bank and uh, I had been there the day before, but I forgot something. And so I went back and I had to, uh, it was sunny when I left my house, but when I got to Simcoe, it was cold and I'm standing out there and I'm shivering, I'm freezing out there and there's six people in line in front of me. And I, and I was like, oh, I can't believe this. And, and then all of a sudden the, those words came into my mind, love is patient. Love chooses actually to be patient. I can stand in this line in two different ways. Can I? And so as I stood, stood in line, I'm t- chatting with some people in the line and, and then finally it gets to my spot where I'm the next to go in. I'm like, oh man, it's good because I'm freezing. And just as I'm about to go in the door, this little old lady comes up down the, uh, the proverbial little old lady, but she's hunched right over. She's got a cane. She comes over and she looks and she looks up at me with these eyes and she, she looks, she's like, is this the line she says through her mask? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm going to have to come back another day. And I looked and I looked at the people behind me and I was like, you know, hey, can, you know, can we let her in? Can we? And, and I didn't get any feedback and kind of like anybody's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's let her. So I'm like, um, all of a sudden that moment, love is patient. And, and I thought, oh, so I said, you know what? You can have my spot. 
She went in my spot. I went to the back of the line. Eight more people in line now that I've got to wait. And I was like, God, I don't think I want to learn these love lessons anymore. We're good. And yet then when I went home, I realized it's way more than just simple things like standing in a line, choosing patience. Paul describes patience as this. He's like, it's, it's this um, thought of persevering patiently and bravely and enduring misfortunes and trials. Like, it's not just little things like that. It's, it's the big things, choosing to be patient, choosing to be patient and bearing the offenses of others. What does love require of me? May I ask you that question? Who does love require you to be patient with? Maybe that's that person in your home. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your kids. Who does love require you to be patient? Paul says love chooses patience. And love, it, it, love's not just his feeling. Love is kind. Love chooses to be kind, to show oneself mild and to use kindness. My question, you know, is how, where do we see and how do we use kindness? Well, kindness is often comes out in the, in the words we speak. Uh, maybe not even speak, in the words we type. You know, <laughs> there's, there's so much going on online these days, you know, where people are just like, well, I got to speak the truth. You know, people need to know the truth about what's going on. But, yet, but scripture teaches us to speak the truth in love. Well, I, I am. They, they lovingly need to hear it. But speaking the truth is saying, you know, in patience or with kindness, you know, choosing the words that we speak on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, because there's all kinds of anger about situations that are going on, about government, about people, about these people quarantine, right? These people don't. And it it actually stirs up all of this. Do you know that God's calling us to love? He's actually calling us to choose kindness in moments like that. What does love require of us? The next time you're about to start writing something on Facebook, what does love require of you? What does it require of me right now? Great question to ask before you speak, before you say it. Paul continues on, says, love's not jealous. That jealous is like that boiling over with hatred and envy. You know, who, do you have it right now? Maybe you just wish that you had someone else's life. Like they get to go to work and you wish you could, or they get to stay home fully paid vacation and you wish you could, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. We put it on there, the quarantine things this morning, which, which would you rather, you know, by the beach with, with internet and, and, and cats, you know, it's all right. You can keep your sand and cats, you know, or on the opposite with, with uh, being in the woods with no internet. It's that those thoughts, what would, what would I rather? But Paul's saying, hey, the love has this thing where it doesn't allow that jealousy to affect the relationship. It just simply says, hey, you know, I'm happy for whoever has whatever they, ha- they have, but I'm, I'm not going to allow that to stir up anything inside here. He continues on saying, love chooses not to be boastful, not to be proud. It chooses not to be all about me. Uh, that can be all kinds of things. You ever meet people that like life seems to be all about them? I find it sometimes in my own home where just personally, I, I sometimes think, man, I got to prepare the message. You know, kids leave me alone. And like my, what my world and my life is more important than theirs. I'm not saying that out loud, but that's what comes across because sometimes their concerns and what they, what's going on in their lives is, is, is as important to them as what I think is important to me. Love chooses to, to, to put those other things to say, I'm going to lay down what I think is important for me to make sure there's some time for you. Love chooses that. Love chooses that. You know, love chooses not to be rude, chooses not to demand its own way. So the question I think we got to ask ourselves continually is what does love require of me? And how do I not choose my own way? He he wrote to the Philippians, Paul again said, hey, don't just look out for your own interests only. Look out for the interests of others. James told us that this idea of demanding my own way, like um, what I want is so important. He says, that's actually what causes all the quarrels and fights among you. Everything is that idea of I want my own way. And love's not that. Love chooses to live differently. Love isn't, it's not irritable. 
You know, love, love's not the one who's easily irritated or irritates others. You know, he, man, when you know somebody well enough, like the close people in your life, you know their buttons, right? And you can just like, you can just poke them. It's like, they get you a little off edge. You just know exactly what to say to just you know, that little jab, that little dart that provokes them to anger. You know, who in your life is pushing your buttons right now? And just require, it's that idea of, oh, okay, but what does love require of me? I mean, like, you're like, yeah, Mark, you said that already. I'll say it again because I hope it sticks in your mind. What does love require of me? And I love this final one. Love keeps no record of being wronged. You know, that, that idea is like a bank account. It's like where you watch your bank account and you see kind of what the, the money that's in there, the transactions. This is what he's saying. Love chooses not to keep a transaction account of all the wrongs that have been done in your life. And I see it so often where people are like, man, I want to work on our marriage. I want our relationships to get better. But they've got this bank account of all the wrongs that the other person has done. And there's just no way for that other person to dig out of that hole. You know what love chooses? Love chooses forgiveness to say, you know what? (laughs) I'm not going to put myself in a place of danger where you can continue to hurt me, but I'm not going to hold you responsible for all of this anymore. Love chooses forgiveness. Love chooses freedom. I'm, I'm free from having this whole list of things and setting them free from that list of things as well. What does love require of me? Maybe love requires forgiveness today, requires freedom today. Paul finishes it by saying this, love doesn't rejoice about injustice, rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Man, that's because it chooses not to. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Love endures through quarantine. Love endures through COVID. Love endures through stress. Love endures through, through, um, through uh, uh, anger, through, through um, conflict. Why? Because it chooses to. Well, that's not a nice feeling. Well, it was never a feeling to begin with. Paul's saying, let me tell you the best way to live. Choose love. Choose love. And, you know, maybe as we've been talking this morning, there's, there's, there's uh, names that come to mind. Maybe there's faces that you have and you're like, Mark, this sounds like a good idea. Or well, maybe, I don't know, but, but you don't know what they've done. You don't know what we've been through. Paul says it this way, and I finish with this. He said, he began with it this way. Let me show you the best way to live right now. See, we can follow all these other ways and think, oh, I just want the feeling and it's pursuing the feelings and pursuing all that kind of stuff. But in the end, they always leave you empty. Cultures realize, well, hey, this is what we thought was love. And if you do that, that's fine. All of a sudden, wow, that didn't work. Okay, let's change the goal and let's make it this. And well, that didn't work. Okay, let's change it to this, change it to this, change it to this, where it's so confusing, where God wrote the manual and said, this is how relationships work. This is the fuel that you run on. This is what you need in order for it actually to have any chance of being successful. It is this. This is the best way to live right now. And he ends it with 1 Corinthians 14, where most people stop when they get to the end of 13. Says this in 14, pursue love. Pursue love. What's that mean? Chase it down like you hope to catch it. Not the feelings. We're always like, oh, I just got to find love. Or, oh, I want to find the feeling. Or, oh, I just want the emotions. Or, oh, I just want to find that someone. Oh, I just want to fall in love. He's like, that's not what you're pursuing. That's what most people pursue. He's like, I want you to pursue this. I want you to intentionally pursue this thing of saying, I'm going to choose to love. What does love require of me? I'm, I'm going to choose to be patient. I'm going to choose to be kind today. I'm going to choose not to put my own, um, my own uh, desires as first priority. I'm going to choose all of that. You know, especially with the ones that you're closely connected to. I think for us, it's easier to love the world, <laughs> the people we don't have to see all the time. It's like, ah, I just love people, you know, because I never see them. But this whole thing was designed that it would be with the people you're closely connected to, the ones that are in your home right now and in your family, your parents, your, your kids, your spouse. And so 
to the Jesus followers today, to the Jesus followers who are listening today. My hope is that we would ask, including me, that we'd ask these questions. You know, not what does love require of them, but what does love require of me? And the reason we should be asking it is not because, you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, I just want you to do this. He's like, I want you to love the way that I've loved you. And when I think about that, man, it's powerful. It's the greatest reason why we should even, even consider <laughs> taking, a, taking a flyer on this idea of loving like this. Why? Because Jesus simply loved us that way first. When you think about it, John describes God later on in one of his letters saying, God is love. It's not, he doesn't have love. He, not, he is love. It's who he, who he is. When I think about it, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, he was patient with me. Man, maybe you feel the same way. It's like, wow, the life that I live, my past, until, I, until he found me and rescued me, man, he was patient with me. I'm grateful for it. It was his kindness that actually led us to repentance. It was his goodness and his kindness that, that made us change our mind about life and say, man, I want to live for you, God, because you are good. You know, I realized that he, he didn't choose to be all about himself. He actually left heaven where everything was great to come live on this planet and not just live, but die, give his life in place of mine. Man, he didn't choose his own happiness. He actually chose my salvation over his happiness. He pursued love. He's not easily angered, you know, as we continue to walk out this journey with him. You know, we don't always get it right. The good news is he keeps no record of the wrongs. You know, the psalmist says it's like, he, he, it's like he's put it as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he separated our sins from us. You know, the enemy wants to put that in your mind like it's always there, this guilt, this guilt and shame. He's washed that completely away. I think about it, it's amazing. Paul writes to Colossians and says that, that debt, you know, that, that, that record of wrongs, he uses a similar term and he says that Jesus actually canceled the whole record of wrongs that's been held against you through his death on the cross. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's how he loves. Question today is how do you love? How do you love? A friend of mine named Amadeus, he's a pastor here in Selkirk. A little while, a year ago or so, he shared a song with me called How Do You Love by Shinedown. And as I put that one on repeat, the lyrics just go like this. No one gets out alive. We, uh, every day is do or die. You got that one day, that one day to choose. He says, the one thing that you leave behind is how did you love? How did you love? We have that opportunity. We have that opportunity to love, to love those closely connected and to love the world. If you're not a Jesus follower here today, just know that he loves you like that. And, and, and he's filled our hearts with his love. The whole thing is not for us to try and be better people, but simply to live out the love that we've been shown. And if, if you're here and you're, you're searching for that kind of love, I encourage you to open your heart to him. Open your heart to him. He'll wash the past away, give you a chance to live brand new, live differently. You know, we all have steps to take, something to aim for. Today, Why the encouragement is to live out to live out love in a culture that's so confused about it. And when they can see simple patience, kindness, this, this, uh, this choosing not to be rude or puffed up or all about me, uh, all of these things. And it's, it's that kind of love that changed the world. And it's that kind of love that could change the world again. And you know, this, the thing is, the message is the same for us. The living it out is different. And that's why the great news is you have Holy Spirit. As a Jesus follower, you got him here. Listen for his voice. Maybe it's you standing in a line somewhere. Maybe it's a completely different thing, but you can hear his voice. That he'll actually put that love in your heart for that moment. That you would listen to Holy Spirit. And like, well, I'm not sure. Read the manual. Just get in his word and maybe just go through 1 Corinthians 13 slowly on your own. God, help me to love like you love.
Let that fruit grow in your life. It could change the world again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are love and that you love us. God, that you love me when really, uh, I wouldn't say that was very lovable, but you love me enough. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for filling us with your love. Lord, as we go out into this world, I pray that through the way we love, that they would see you because you are the good in us. God, thank you for that. Pray for those who don't know you this morning or are watching, listening. Lord, that uh, they would have a sense of your presence right now. As they, as they just reach out to you, God, as they look to you, that you would save them from where they find themselves, put them on a whole different trajectory and path in life. God, thank you. Thank you for transforming us from the inside out. As we go out this week, we know we're with you and that you're with us. Grateful for that. Grateful for that. Lord, may uh, your name be praised. May you be glorified in everything we say and do and even think this week. It's in your name I pray. Amen.